everyone. Uh, thank you very much for coming back from last week. Um, but I do have to say that I made a mistake last week. And yes, it does happen to all of us. I gave you the wrong reference number for one of the references. I originally told you about um, Mark 1342. And if you look in your Bible, you will not find a Mark 1342. But you will find a Matthew 1342. So I had the right letter uh, at the beginning, but it's super important that you have the right scripture verse. Uh, so if you have your notes from last week or you download them from online, our, our notes, uh, it is Matthew 13.42, not Mark 13.42. Thank you very much for pointing that out to me, the person who did that. Uh, but we are looking at a completely different subject this morning. We're not looking at hell. We're looking at something completely different. And I'd like to start with a story. And the story's title is A Nice Place to Visit. And if you are a fan of Twilight Zone, I just gave away the entire story. A nice place to visit. You see, one day this thug, this, this real lifelong criminal, Mr. Valentine, robbed a pawn shop. And coming out of the pawn shop, he was killed by a police officer who was trying to stop him. And Mr. Valentine wakes up after having been shot. Now he's dead, and he finds that out in the story. But as he wakes up, he's in this palatial castle, penthouse, just this amazing, beautiful mansion of a building. And in comes this elderly gentleman called Mr. Pip. And Mr. Pip welcomes him to the building and basically says, anything you want, I am here to make sure it happens for you. I'm here to make sure it happens for you. And Mr. Valentine was like, Wow, this is cool. Uh, I, I want a million bucks. Boom. In the drawer, there was a million dollars. I want to be at a party. And boom, he was at a party. And um, he says, I want lots of girls. And there's lots of girls. And he wants all these things. And all these things are absolutely given to him. And so he, um, he wants a pool table. And a pool table is in the next room ready for him. And he goes and he plays pool. And he wins every single game. And about a month goes by of all these wishing. And one day he confesses to Mr. Pip that he wants some excitement in his life. So he says, I want to go rob a bank. Because that's what he's used to. And so Mr. Pip gets out his notebook and writes down and wants to rob a bank. Anything else you want to have happen? And he goes, well, I want some sense of danger. He goes, okay, a sense of danger. You know, maybe, maybe get caught. He goes, okay, you want to get caught. And he's going, no, I want it to be totally random. And he confesses to Mr. Pip, I didn't think this is what heaven was going to be like. And Mr. Pip looks at him and says, who told you that this was heaven? This is the other place. Ha, 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 ha. And then Rob Sterling goes into that one-sentence uh, dialogue that communicates the entire story about what was happening to Mr. Valentine. I tell that story to illustrate how many people view the subject of heaven. They have lots of ideas of what heaven should be like and is going to be like, 
But as I quote William Barclay, who wrote extensively as a commentary throughout Scripture, he said, for the Christian, heaven is where Jesus is. And I think we need to stop there in our mind and our thinking. Heaven is where Jesus is. We do not need to speculate on what heaven will be like. It is enough to know that we will be forever with him. You understand what he's saying there? That it's good enough to know. It is satisfying. It is eternally satisfying to know that heaven is where we will be with Jesus face to face. All the other speculations of what you think it may be like, who may be there, who may not be there, what you will be doing, what kind of mansion you will be living in, all of that is irrelevant and not important compared to being with your Savior forever and ever and ever. With all the hope attached to it, with all the joy attached to it, with all the excitement attached to it, all the satisfaction attached to it, being with Jesus should be our number one and only concern about what will heaven be like. Now, Scripture does tell us a little bit about heaven. And in Scripture, the word heaven is used for two different things. It's used for the outside sky, as far as the blue, all the way to the stars, and it is a place and residence of God, Jesus Christ, and his people. So it's two different things. One is the physical, the stars and the skies and the heavens above, and the eternal place of God, which is spiritual. You can't point to it. It's heaven. But Scripture does give us several words and phrases that help us understand a little bit about what this place will be like with Jesus in it. It says, first of all, it's going to be a paradise. And I did relook all these scripture references up, so I think I've got all these nailed this week. Luke 23, 43 describes heaven, that place where we will be with Jesus as paradise. It's considered God's house. That's his dwelling place. Although he is everywhere present at all times, he uniquely has a place where he says, this is where I'm manifesting my glory. Without any inhibition, your, my glory is on full display. And that's what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he was kind of moved into this throne room of God. He saw God for who he really was in shining brilliance with all those angels surrounding him and bowing down and worshiping him. And that's the scene that we see in the book of Revelation where God is on display on his throne and just surrounded by a myriad of things that are that feel otherworldly, but they're fantastic because that's where Jesus is. But it's described as God's house. It's described as the city of the living God. The city of, that's where he dwells, the city of the living God. It's described in Hebrews chapter 4 many times there as a place of rest. Not a place where you get to sleep, but a place of rest. There's a difference between just sleeping and resting. Has anyone had a challenging day? Anybody ever have one of those? All right, so three or four of you. So three or four of you, you're going to be able to relate to what a challenging day is like. But you have this challenging day where it starts off, maybe you're late, maybe the uh, alarm didn't go off, maybe it did and you hit snooze, but whatever. The traffic is bad, work is bad, all your customers are bad, and, and, and life is bad. You hit every red light, and you get a speeding ticket, and Oh, you've been trying to do good all day, but it just was hard. 
and you get home and you sit down in your favorite chair and the leg breaks because your day is not over yet. And you get phone calls and they're bugging phone calls. And you turn on the news just to get your mind out of things and the news is worse than you expected. And it's just heaps upon heaps of stress and troubles and heartaches and problems and it all went wrong way but you get to lay down and rest. You know what that sensation is like to finally be, it's over today. That is a place that heaven is like. Heaven is not all about rest, but it has that sense of, I can let my guard down, I'm home. I'm in the city of the living God, and there's rest. And it's not going to start the rat race the next day. It is rest forever. You're at peace. You're calm. In Matthew 25, it's called a place of inheritance. And in other places, it's called a place that is peaceful, holy, everlasting, indescribable. So I can stop there because I'm not going to be able to describe what heaven is like because God already says, you are not going to understand all the intricacies of what heaven is like. So everything that you have in your mind, you can erase and go back to the one central thing. Jesus is there. Okay. If Jesus is there, I'm going to be safe. If Jesus is there, I'm going to have peace. If Jesus is there, I'm going to be at rest. And it's going to be better than okay. It's good. And we're going to see the goodness of God on display in everything we see, touch, hear, feel, experience. We're going to experience the goodness of God through every human faculty we have. Every fiber of our being is going to know we are home. We're home. In Matthew chapter 25, I mentioned this briefly last week, but I want to look at it in depth this week because Matthew 25 gives us some future events that will be occurring and it applies to all of us, even those people outside of God's common fellowship and relationship. It's going to happen to everybody, every human that is, was, and will ever live. So I'm going to read through this, and we're going to see quickly that there are two groups of people in God's, uh, how, how God views people. And so this is Jesus speaking right before he's going to Jerusalem to be crucified. So this is one of his ending messages to the crowds. He says in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, so he's talking about things happening in the book of Revelation, he will be seated on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Well, a lot of S's in that little phrase. Um, so he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Now, how is he going to do that? Not by wealth, not by ethnic group, not by language, not by age, not by beauty, not by strength, not by any human thing that we separate people by. We separate people all the time. In fact, you all are separated right now because you probably want to sit with family and not next to a total stranger. Because that, whoa, there, there's some separation. We separate ourselves constantly into groups and non-groups, accepted and non-accepted. 
Well, God is going to, on that last day, do the same thing when Jesus comes in all of his glory, power, and might at the end of times. There will be a separation between all nations, all people, into two groups. Now he describes for us what those two groups are and how they're separated. In verse 33, And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, that is the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Oh, they were doing a lot of things. Then the righteous will answer him. So the sheep we know are the righteous. They're his his people. We would say, believers, Christians, born again, those people who had, as we saw in 2 Thessalonians 1, 1, uh, 5 through 9, they are the people who have a relationship with God. However you want to label that, Jesus says they are the sheep, they are the righteous ones. They respond after Jesus says, you're going to enjoy the inheritance of my Father, you're going to enjoy heaven. They say, verse 37 The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And I think that is something that we could say. We could say, Lord, if you're talking to us about all these great things we did for you, I have to be honest. I've never physically, Jesus gave you a drink of water or put clothes on your back or visited you or, or helped you when you were in prison. I, I never have. I've never seen Jesus. And I'm going to settle that debate for you as well. You never have seen him either. You may have a relationship with him, but you have never seen him as the disciples did, as the people who walked along him and knew him as a boy all the way to his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. We never saw it. We have the words of the story that happened, but you never physically have seen Jesus. And so our answer would be the same. Lord, if you're telling us that we're enjoying the rewards of heaven and part of what we've done in life is serve you, how do we do that? Because you're not here with us. You're in heaven. And so Jesus explains it to us, and we know that. It says in verse 40, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And that's where we get some of the emphasis of loving and serving one another. Serving and loving are big keystones and vocabulary for the believer. We love and serve others. Why? Because they are so worthy of it. No. It's because they're needy. And people who have the ability to serve those who are needy, as believers, were called upon to serve those that are in need. And Jesus says, when you do that, it is as if you're doing it to me. So when you hold the door open for someone, when you greet them, when you're kind and generous to someone, you can, in a sense, really see the connection in your spiritual life to serving and loving on Jesus. But we have verse 41. 
Then he said to those on his left, those were the goats, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We saw that last week. For when I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Well, then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? So their answer is, Lord, we never saw you. So how can you hold us accountable for something we didn't even see you? And yet we're separated from you. And we know that they're separated from God not because of a sin they've committed, but because they have no relationship with him. The relationship with God wipes away the episodes and moments of sin. It's the relationship with God that Jesus is getting at and a true, bona fide, certified, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ sees that believer reaching out Loving and serving. Anytime they see a need, anytime they see a want, they are there loving and serving. Loving and serving as if they are doing it for Jesus. Not for themselves, not for accolades, not for a placard, not for a special parking spot. They're doing it in order for Jesus to be glorified and honored in that action. But the goats, those with no relationship with God, simply on the outside of this entire thing, and they're still thinking physical. Jesus, when did we see you? Well, when you saw anyone in need, you should have stepped up to the plate and helped through that relationship. And so Jesus says in verse 45, then he will answer and saying to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal life and heaven really kind of make lots of connections in Scripture. Because if heaven is going to be our resting place, a place of joy and peace and comfort, a place where we are at home in the city of God, where God dwells, where Jesus is, how long does that last? How long does that citizenship, that, that dwelling, that address last for us? And Jesus says it's eternal. It's eternal life. Just as hell is eternal, never ending, never changing, no relief, no hope, everlasting, so is the believer's home with God. It is forever. It is never ending. It is everlasting. And if you're like me, you ask one of those questions where there really is no answer to it, what are we going to be doing that whole time? I mean, I know what I'm doing now. You know, I've got routines. I've got a calendar. I've got a schedule. I kind of see what, what uh, holidays are in the future and kind of prepare for it. So there's preparation in our life. There are daily events in our life, and there's stuff that we do every day. And while it may feel very similar every day, yet we do know that Days move into other days, and some days are more special than others, and so there's differences. What in the world are we going to be doing in heaven, not just for a week or a month or a year, but for eternity? What are we possibly going to be doing, and we're not bored? Think about that for a second. 
whatever you're going to be doing in eternity, you won't be bored. You won't grow tired. You won't think, what's the newest, biggest, best thing? Because we all live life like that. We all live life for what's the next show I can binge watch? What's the next video that's going to grab my attention? What's the next clothing trend? What's the next car? What's the next restaurant opening up? Can't wait. And we're all looking forward to something brand new every time, every day. And if there isn't anything happening, we think, oh, man, maybe I should move up to Springs because it's real boring here. Oh, maybe I should move up to Denver because it's going to get boring in Springs. People there in Springs and Denver are having the same problem we have. Life sometimes just feels monotonous and boring. But in heaven, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We will never be bored. You know what is it we'll be doing? I've already told you. We will be with Jesus. Period. Go, Tim, there's got to be more to that than that. Come on. We're just going to be with Jesus forever? Absolutely. And you're going to go, Tim, but what possibly could he do that's going to be so entertaining that we will be fixated on him forever? We're going to get bored of the stories. We're going to get bored of whatever he's going to perform for us, whatever it might be. We're going to get bored if he's the only one that we're looking at and interacting with. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You've got a human, small, puny view of who Jesus Christ is if you think that you will be bored with him for an eternity. He will be more thrilling and exciting and satisfying and praiseworthy more and more as every second passes. And it will never reach the end. Every moment will just build in worship and excitement and thrill and joy and peace and love that you will be, your goal. it can't get better than this. Boom, one second passes. It can't get better than this. And then it can't get better than this. And everyone's going to be looking around at each other and looking at him and just engaging in worship going, it can't get better than this. And guess what? The next second passes and it gets better. And every passing second will get better and better and better and better. And you will go in one of those brief moments between a second. I remember some kind of beginning to be portly gentleman with no hair somewhere in Colorado once saying, it's going to get better and better and better and better. And I sat there going, I don't think so. Nah, he's just making stuff up at this point. Nah. And you're going to go, he was right. It gets better and better and better. And as the best scenario you can imagine... I promise you, it's going to be better than that scenario. I remember when I was a kid, uh, one of the projects in school was we had to, uh, uh, something happened and, and one of the teachers said, I want you to, uh, to draw what you think it's going to be like in heaven. And uh, have you heard that story before? 
Okay, so I'm there and I'm drawing uh, this picture. And I drew two things in the picture uh, of what I thought heaven was going to be like. And I remember the first thing I drew was a doghouse with Snoopy on it. And there was a bird. Tweety? No. Woodstock. So I drew uh, the the doghouse with Snoopy on top with Woodstock. And then, I had no idea why, I drew golf clubs. I had never played golf before, but in my mind as a little kid, if you really want peace and rest, and I later on found out that's not true, if you want peace and rest, you golf, because that's like the total epitome of leisure. That would come back to haunt me. Yes, it's fun, but it's not leisure. And I thought, that's what heaven is going to be like. If your vision of heaven is that small, you need to stop it now. Stop thinking about how small heaven is going to be and how it is designed, like Mr. Valentine, although he was totally mistaken, how it's there to satisfy every pleasure you have. You're going to have one pleasure in heaven that needs to be satisfied. That is, you need to see Jesus. I need to see him, I need to see him, I need to see him, and your response is going to be automatic, joyful, raising of your hands, bowing down, clapping, shouting joyfully praises to his name more than 15 minutes at a time. It will be forever and ever and ever, and you will never be bored. You won't. You will never be bored. And he is not going to have to have a pony show, song and dance, a comedy routine, a magic trick to keep you entertained. He's going to be there. And you're going to be there. And you're going to see him. And he may speak wondrous ways in which he brought things into existence. And you will never tire of the truth that he speaks. You will never tire of seeing firsthand the holes where the nails pierced his body, where the spear pierced his side, where the marks of thorns surrounded his head. You will not have sadness upon seeing that. You will not even have a memory of your sin upon seeing that, but you will see in his own face and hands and side Love. And you will forever be wondering how could someone so lovely, so powerful, so majestic, so kingly, so warrior like, so wealthy, he owns all the worlds, how he could love you. And you will relive that truth over and over and over. And you will never be bored. Now, I don't think he'll say it, but it happens to me all the time, like I just did a couple minutes ago. I said, have I ever told you this story? Because sometimes I don't remember. Have I told you this story before? And if I have, you just say, yeah, Tim, we have. Stop. We don't need to say it again. Got it. But when he says, do you want to hear the story of the cross? 
Your hand's going to go, yeah, I want to hear it. I want to hear it again. Tell me again. And he could tell us that story an infinite number of times. And our joy will just exceed every time he tells it. Every time it'll get more exciting. And every time we'll be on the edge of our seats going, then what happened? Yes, you rose from the dead. Yes, you gave new life to me. Yes, I fell on my knees and I believed. Yes, you carried me with my final breath to home. Tell me again. Tell me that story again. And we will be joyful every time he says, I love you. Do you want to hear the story of Jesus' love for you? Believe in him now. And forever you will hear that story ringing in the hallways of heaven, surrounded by the angels praising him for that work in your life. And they'll say, do you want to hear it again? You'll say, yes, tell me the story of the cross, of the sacrifice of your love. You will never ask for a party. You will never ask for a million dollars. You will never ask to go golfing. You will never ask for a car that never needs repair. You will never ask for your favorite food. You will never ask to finally have that six-pack abs that you've been working at by sitting on a couch. You will never ask for that. You will ask, tell me the story, the greatest story ever told. Tell me again of your love. It will not get better than that. And yet, God says, I can't rightly describe to you how incredible it's going to be. Just as hard as it is to understand what hell is like for an eternity, it is just as hard to understand what an eternity of peace and joy will be. And you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, Wow, that sounds fantastic, Tim. I, uh, I got no idea if that's me. I really got no idea which, where I'm going to end up. Am I going to be a Va Mr. Valentine and think that I'm in heaven, but I'm actually in hell? Am I going to be in hell, but, uh, but I'm actually going to be in heaven? I mean, I don't know. One, I got to tell you, that's a very honest place to be. Totally unsure. I get it. Would you believe it? There are times in my life, even as a pastor, sometimes I wonder myself, what's going to happen when I die? And then I get reminded, Tim, it's not based on you. It's not based on how good you do, how well you perform, how good of a person you are. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on, and you know it, the story. The story. The story of Christ coming and dying on our behalf. See, the only reason why we will wear a crown in heaven is because Jesus wore our cross on earth. And you will never tire of hearing that story. I remember John Piper once in a conference saying, telling a story that he was preparing to go preach at a church. And 
it's pretty common as a guest preacher, uh, the host church or the host pastor will say, hey, um, you know, you can preach on anything you want. You know, uh, we're kind of going through this series uh, because you don't want the guy to come in who's a guest preacher to preach on the very same thing you just preached the week before or even worse, preach on your next sermon because then you got to go back to the drawing boards and come up with a new sermon the next week. So sometimes they communicate back and forth saying, hey, what are you going to preach on? And the pastor told John Piper, hey, you can preach on anything you want, uh, but we're believers, so you don't have to preach the gospel to us because we got that. And he goes, oh, and said, you need to be in the audience Sunday. You need to be in the audience Sunday because I'm going to preach the gospel and you need to hear it. We should never, ever be bored with the gospel, with the story, because this is just a taste, a smattering, a moment of our really rotten existence at times and hardships at times where we get to hear the story. But there'll be one day when you get to hear the story Every waking moment. In Revelation chapter 21, and this is where I'm going to end. In Revelation 21, there's a whole bunch of other notes uh, that if you are on our YouVersion Bible app, um, you can download all those notes, and you can also get our Digging Deeper notes, which is like a little mini devotional with questions for every day of the week. Super, super helpful. And if you turn to our Facebook or our website and YouTube channel on like Wednesday or Thursday, I also have what's called a rewind, uh, rewind reca- or recap rewind bonus features, where if there's something that I didn't get to in my notes, I give a quick five-minute summary of the message, and I give you those extra bonus things that I totally forgot to do, which already happened today. So tune in uh, for Wednesday for that. But in Revelation 21, this is where we're going to end today. I want these to be words that you just simply sit with. I'm not asking you to respond to them. I'm not asking for a decision for you to make. I'm not asking for you to um, think too hard about them. I want you to listen to some of the description that God does give us of our resting place. This is John speaking. Chapter 21 in Revelation, just verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning and sorrow nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. Amen?
Let's stand. Let me pray as the team comes up. Father, there's a part of me that says this is all too good to be true. That how can I really know for sure of this great ending and new beginning for your people? Lord, I pray that you would soften my heart, that you would bring me before your throne room even now, that I might worship you in a small way in which we will worship you forever in eternity. Lord, I know we can't have heaven here on earth. It's not designed that way. But Father, we look forward to our day in heaven, whether it be today or years to come. Father, tell us the story of the cross. Tell us the story of your love, of your forgiveness. Wipe away our tears, our sorrow. Let death no longer grip us. Let fear no longer be adorned. But Father, may we stand and rejoice in the story of your love. Amen.